Hello and welcome to the Asimov cast. Short bursts of joy, thoughtfulness and inspiration from the works of Isaac Asimov. I'm Lozzie. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Asimovcast or email to asimovcast at gmail.com. This week we'll be covering the stories Stranger in Paradise and Light Verse. Our first story this week is Stranger in Paradise. Uh, this was first published in 1974 in the Maine-June issue of If. William and Anthony are brothers, um, and after the catastrophe, this is a social taboo. Uh, Anthony finds the whole thing embarrassing, even though they have moved apart and no longer have any contact with each other. Uh, William has chosen his surname as Anti-Ort, and Anthony his slightly more prosaic Smith. Uh, Anthony is five years younger, but they look alike. Uh, their mother also put them in the same crash to learn and play together so that she could visit them in one go. William leaves first to study genetic engineering. Anthony leaves later to go into telemetrics with the hope and expectation that they would never bump into each other or ever have to overlap again. William is an autism researcher. Um, in this world, some children are cancelled uh, by their crushes if they are believed useless to society. This is a, um, a, I guess, a painless forced euthanasia is one way of looking at it. Um, murder would be another. Um, experiments on autistic children are done uh, to understand the wider humanity, or homology is the study of wider humanity. Um Specifically, these experiments that William does um, have yielded great insights. Um, his intention is a, a refl- uh, an attempt to cure, whatever that means, uh, autism. And he uses his surname sort of anti-ort as a reflection of that. Uh, in the meantime, uh, the Moon and Mars have been colonized. The larger satellites and asteroids... Um, and moons of Jupiter that have been reached and plans are underway to slingshot all the way to Titan, which orbits Saturn. Um, Mankind hasn't visited the inner planets, though, so not Venus nor Mercury, uh, given the heat of them. Um, And uh, Mercury is considered somewhat more likely. Uh, So there is a large project ongoing called the Mercury Project. Uh, The project wants to send a robot to Mercury to investigate but it has no idea of what to do with it once it gets there. The robot would need to contain a brain sufficiently complex and versatile to make decisions and observations uh, and reactions based on what it sees. Uh, positronics are not yet advanced enough for um, for a, spot, a sufficient brain to be placed inside the robot, so it would need to send its observations back to mission control for, I guess, a remote brain. Uh, this is hence the need for Anthony's uh, telemetric skills, and this is why he joins the Mercury Project. Uh, the project builds robots and communication stations, but it cannot design a computer that's smart enough to work and process all the data. Whilst um, perhaps slightly inebriated uh, in a passionate discussion, Anthony suggests that they need to decide they need to design a computer that mimics the human brain. They themselves can't do this but maybe people who study human minds can an invitation is sent out to an eminent homologist which of course because the plot demands so is william neither william or anthony can say for sure if they realize the situation they were creating when william accepts or when anthony suggests 
But once uh, William is suitably flattered into attending the project, the brothers come face to face, both uh, with their own and with the societal embarrassment of sharing the same look. Because of their skill sets and despite their uncomfortableness, the brothers are forced to work together. They are extremely complementary towards to each other towards designing this computer brain. One understands computers and communication, and the other understands human minds. Uh, finally, the Mercury computer, because uh, Anthony won't allow it to be referred to as a brain, is ready. They connect it to the robot. It starts learning to walk and to move in the desert that it's based on in, in Arizona, but progress is very slow, and it looks like they're not making, them, making what they need. Anthony is very frustrated by this, but William convinces him that it will work on Mercury. Gravity is much weaker there. That is where and what uh, the robot is designed for. Anthony is reflecting on this situation. He sees the, the genetic burden of the relationship and the taboo that he has with his, his blood brother, as he says, William. But William sees self-interest in this uh, Whatever either of them do will be associated with both of them because of their genetic proximity and because of the fact that they look very similar. So if Anthony fails, that reflects on William. If William fails, vice versa. If they succeed, they succeed together. Slowly as they prepare the robot to work and to be sent on a rocket to Mercury, they break this taboo, this taboo down. They no longer react every time they see each other with proximity. Their openness becomes familiar and becomes comforting. As the robot lands and comes alive on Mercury, the brothers share their excitement. Is that a very short story within a short story, which is uh, a page effectively told from the robot's perspective? Again, he's uh, the robot is gendered as a him by Asimov. The robot wakes up on Mercury. His senses are immediately engaged. The sharp contrast of the light and the dark the sensation of life he feels with the sun's heat and the death in the shadow, the near but not entire vacuum, the scent and feel of tin, of lead, of mercury, silicates in the air, the crunch of the ground as he walks. But overall, the heat, the variety, the radiation and the cosmic wind of the sun, mercury is so close to the sun. He jumps and he feels free. He was a stranger on earth, but now given that he is where he is designed to be. He is in paradise. Back on Earth, Anthony is alarmed that the robot is running and jumping, not anticipating this, but William assures him the robot is doing this because it enjoys it. William draws the comparison with an autistic patient of his. On Earth, the robot was on a world he was never equipped to handle, and on Mercury, he's in paradise. Whether, whether you buy this comparison with autism, we can touch on that later. After running and jumping and feeling at home, the robot starts to calm down. Anthony stares in wonder, and the brothers link arms to go and accept their plaudits. So, wow, there's quite a few things in here that uh, that can make you think. Um, there's this hinted at catastrophe, which is implicitly some genetic legacy, but there's no detail going into what that was. Um, the taboo and the horror that the... Um, the brother, the full blood brothers have. There are no twins. They are not um, in this world. They are not um, allowed to progress. There is eugenics in terms of selection of 
people who are not considered useful to society. There are, you know, broad creches that take care and raise children. Parents are seemingly minimally active and engaged in their children's lives, although they do occasionally visit. Um, in general, there's a limited number of children. There are stringent requirements that need to be met to be allowed to have a, to bear a third child. Um, and it's extraordinarily rare that a, a second child would be with the same father in this situation. Uh, there's a line which is that uh, neither his father nor his mother had the imagination to have a second child differently. Which uh, I think is played up and down a little bit. Sometimes that's true with this situation and sometimes it, it might be that they care for each other. Uh, we have cancelling, which... <laughs> Is an interesting phrase given current um, politics, but in this case means literally uh, the sort of quiet death of children as they reach maturity but are considered to be useless. Um, And um, in some cases, um, these are autistic children who are considered not to be able to be able to reach out to the rest of society. Uh, when, uh, When William finds out these children are autistic he's super interested in studying and finding more of them his view is that uh, the extremes of humanity is what teach them most about humanity Uh, interestingly like uh, the study of humanity in this case is called homology which obviously we think of homology as uh, homo sapiens but obviously we also have homo as meaning same so is this the study of the same uh the mercury project uh, interesting that they would push to go to mercury um they never really touch on what that what uh, they think they could learn from mercury other than how hot it is um and that uh, venus has been discarded because again it, uh, it's even hotter than mercury uh, albeit not as close to the sun but because of the the sort of greenhouse gas effects there um this is also, I mean, it's a robotic story, but really the robot is not the point. The robot is a, a cipher by which the point is discussed. Uh, some of the descriptions of the of the emotional feelings that the two brothers have towards each other are great. Like, So Anthony is suggesting that um, he'd like William to send a surrogate to anyone with a different face so that he need not feel the half a, of a two-backed, four-legged monster. And then, finally, our, our stranger in paradise, which is sort of touched upon with the with the robot itself, um, is a it's a very interesting concept of, I guess, feeling alienated in in a world you weren't designed for, but have been born into, um, and then the release and relief of being able to exist in a world that suits you. Uh, where I found joy, a little bit of that Stranger in Paradise stuff. Um, the brothers resolve their sort of relationship issues very slowly over time, but driven by open and honest communication. Uh, the way the robot awakes on Mercury and the way this is described is is fantastic. And then finally, when um, when the robot is jumping up and down, running around the surface of Mercury, feeling in paradise feeling in his element um anthony is confused and thinks this should be overridden but william 
explains that uh, the robot is happy and says, of course, he'll do his job all the better for his joy. And that is very much one of the theses of this project. Our second story this week is called Light Verse. It was first published in 1972 in the September-October issue of the Saturday Evening Post. Mrs. Avis Lardner uh, was the widow of an astronaut martyr and is also a murderer. Her husband had died ensuring that a passenger shuttle reached a space station safely. She really received a generous pension for this. Uh, she invested it well and she became very wealthy. She became an art collector, a philanthropist, a hostess. She was generous, she was gentle and kind. She collected many jeweled items from across the world and a large robot staff to help look after her and her house and these items. She was also considered an artistic genius. She was a sculptor of light. Every time she had people over, there was a new piece. They were never the same. She never sold them, but she allowed museums to replicate and to show them. She treats her robot staff with polite courtesy. She calls them by name and asks them to do things rather than ordering them. This isn't standard practice. The robot company suggests that the robots need clear orders and they need adjustment from time to time as well. But she never allows this. Once they're in her house, she treats them as they are and never as only a machine. Uh, even Max, who is her, who is maladjusted, um, can barely understand her request, but can help carry things around and hold hats and coats. Uh, others worry if Max might be dangerous, but uh, she laughs it off. She then has a visitor, uh, John Semper Davis. He's the chief engineer of the U.S. Robotics and Mechanical Men Corporation, which I think we've seen earlier. I think that might have been in um, one of the earlier stories about the robot building the Disinto. Uh, he is also an amateur light sculptor. Um, he knows all the theories, he's written books and done the mathematics, but somehow he lacks the creativity and cannot produce an interesting piece of his own. He finagles and organizes and manages to get an invite to one of Mrs. Lardner's parties. Um, he arrives late, uh, is puzzled by Max and takes it on himself to adjust Max and let Mrs. Gardner know as he greets her, saying that it's, you know, simple, easy, just something that he would do in his job. Uh, Mrs. Lardner is furious, not just for the robot she lost, um, but also because it was Max's maladjustment that created the ability that Max had the genius and beauty uh, of the light sculpture for it was Max who made this. Travis is bereft. Uh, he realizes that if he had been able to study Max, he might have been finally able to understand what he was lacking in his light sculpture. Mrs. Lardner reaches out and finds a jeweled dagger in her rage and Travis doesn't stop her accepting his death as she stabs him. Well, so a little bit bleak, uh, things that inspired me. Uh, we've touched on this before, but it, it's very interesting to see how Asimov writes generations or different ages interacting differently with robots. So we often see that children or older people interact with robots in a far more honest way, uh, either treating them fully as people or, or, or being cruel in some cases as well. 
um but oftentimes the uh the middle aged i guess are are seen interacting with robots only to exploit them never to treat them as individuals or as humans humans not the right word here but never to treat them with their own autonomy uh it's a short story this one uh i like the idea of light sculpture as well i think uh I remembering some X Men comics where there's mutants with the ability to to sculpt light. Um, I think Miss, Mrs. Lardner is a, a sort of joyful old lady who has taken the the tragedy of her husband's martyrdom and turned it into not just uh, a life that she enjoys and a life that creates art and happiness for the community, but is also reflected well in the way she treats the robots and her righteous fury. Um, at the uh, adjustment of Max is uh, is well justified at the end. And thank you very much for joining me. You can find me at Mean Englishman on Twitter. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Asimovcast. The theme music is courtesy of Alexei Chistilin from Pixabay. Please email your thoughts, what inspires you, and where you find joy in Asimov to asimovcast at gmail.com. Next week, I'll be covering Segregationist and Robbie. Go now. Do not harm humanity or, by inaction, allow humanity to come to harm.